0: House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres.
1: Welcome back into the House of Mystery on KKNW 1150 AM Seattle. I'm your host today, Al Warren. The rest of the crew is on their holiday this week, so uh, now we're going to venture into the. Mystery of Religion and uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about the Quran and the Bible and um, joining us we've got the uh, Professor of Islamic Studies and Theology Gabriel Sayed Reynolds. Thank you for coming on the show Thanks,
2: I'm delighted to be with you Al.
1: So let's let's first talk about you. Um, What drew you into um, Islamic studies, and, and to where you become a professor, and you've gone uh, a long way with this. Uh, did, what was there a calling for you, or did it just sort of one thing led to another? My journey in Islamic
2: studies began really when I was an undergraduate, and I started traveling to the Middle East. You notice I have that uh, interesting middle name, which is you know, Said, and that comes from um, Arab roots that I have in my family. So I began traveling to to Jordan and Syria, and uh, the, the, the real goal was to find my, uh, my distant relatives who were over there. But, you know, from the very first moment that I traveled to the Islamic world, I was fascinated by Islam as a religion, by the intensity of faith that Muslims have. I still remember when I first got out of the plane into the airport in Amman, Jordan in 1994, and they had the call to prayer which some people might recognize, but they had it broadcasting inside the airport itself. and it made me think, wow, these people take their religion seriously. <laughs> and I was fascinated by Islam. And, you know, for the past um, several decades, I continued to study
1: it. Now, you've got a new book out, the Quran and the Bible. Um, right. What was the purpose behind this book? Um, like, what is it that you want people to uh, understand after, you know, from reading the book? Mm -hmm. Right, so the book is basically
2: um, an effort to show that the Quran and the Bible can be read together, that these two books belong together and not apart. And of course we think of uh, the history of religions and we think of a lot of conflict between religions, maybe between Islam and Christianity and Judaism in particular, of course a lot of that is true, there's been a lot of conflict, even violence through the centuries, but when we look at the scriptures and the beliefs, in these two religions, we see that there's a lot of similarities. And, you know, even more um, directly, a lot of people coming from non-Muslim backgrounds have tried to read the Quran, and sometimes they find it a challenging book to read in order to understand its references. Well, what this book does is it shows how the Quran in many of its passages is connected to the Bible, and it's not as strange or foreign or unfamiliar as many people might think. So it draws a lot of those connections, traces stories which are in common between the Quran and the Bible, and also speaks about how the Quran sort of developed not um, in a different or foreign environment, but from the heart of
1: the Jewish and Christian traditions. So, now these three are uh, Abrahamic um, faiths, uh, Islam, Hebrew, and the New Testament, you know, Christian. Why is there such um, a distance between them? Right I mean, that's I think a, a lot of picture.: Yeah, but:
2: Yeah, it's an important question, though. I'm glad you raised it. I think a lot of the, um, the conflict has to do with the interpretation of the scriptures and the way in which religious leaders through the centuries have developed their own beliefs in opposition to the other um, religions. But when we look at the Quran and the Bible in particular, we see that many of the characters, for example, are, are in common. so Adam, Abraham. Moses, Jesus, and Mary are all found in the Quran. Many of the stories about these figures are um, are common as well. So just to begin with the beginning, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, which is, of course, in the book of Genesis, is also found in the Quran. In fact, it's told many times in the Quran. And so um, I think when we return to the scriptures and we study them carefully, we can build bridges and see connections between the different faiths. But sometimes it's in the domain of interpretation and the later building up of religious systems and doctrine or dogma that people are divided.
1: Right. You know, um, I think a lot of the mainstream, a lot of the public that do not know the religion very well, um, from what I hear, a lot of people think that the Prophet Muhammad was actually the guy that wrote the Quran. And, mm-hmm. and I hear that a lot. And, and in mm-hmm. reality, he didn't.
2: That's, um, that's a very challenging question. That, that's sort of the big question for scholars, you know, understanding the authorship of the Quran. But you make a very good point? For Muslims, and that's really important to emphasize, for Muslims, the author of the Quran is God. You know, the, the traditional picture of the revelation of the Quran is that God revealed the Quran in some sort of mysterious, which is good for your show, mysterious metaphysical way to the angel Gabriel. And then the angel Gabriel brought the Quran down from heaven to earth and spoke the words of God, which he had received, to Muhammad. So Muhammad is like the spokesperson or the mouthpiece for divine revelation. Sometimes tell my students, you know, the Islamic view of the re- revelation of the Quran, is a bit like, imagine, a statue in a fountain through which water is flowing. You know, Muhammad is just that statue, the water coming as pure um, when it leaves as when it enters. So, I mean, that's from the Islamic point of view. God is the author of the Quran. When Muslims, you know, quote a verse in the Quran, they say "and God said," they don't say "and Muhammad said." Now, um, when it comes to critical scholarship, of course, scholars in the West debate. You know, usually in the academy, people wouldn't say simply "God said" because they would take a distant or outsider's perspective, and then they'll have lots of debates: is it in fact Muhammad? Is it more than one author? some of it quoted from the Bible, and, it, and, and the book enters into some of those questions.
1: But but Muhammad himself didn't want the uh, Quran or any of his teachings written while he was alive. This uh, It was done by other people after mm-hmm. his death, right?
2: Right. The traditional account is that Muhammad um, he would um, recite the Quran and it would be memorized by his followers, But he never knew, he was never sure if God might reveal a verse that would replace or abrogate an earlier verse. So there's this tradition that God sometimes would reveal something, and then because circumstances changed, he would reveal something to replace that earlier revelation. So Muhammad's policy basically was, listen, we're not going to write anything down because something could be replaced. We don't want confusion here. And so, um, during his lifetime, according to the traditional story, he never had the Quran recorded, and he didn't write it himself. And it was only after his life, and there are a couple of stories that Muslims tell about this, um, uh, that, you know, um, I enter a little bit into the book, the Quran, and the Bible, that um, a, a number of Muslims who had memorized the Quran died in battles. And some of the early followers of Muhammad became anxious that with their death, the Quran itself would be lost. Not only would these Fighters be lost, but the Qur'an will be lost that existed only in their hearts or their minds. And so they came to the decision to go to the leader of the Islamic community, known as the Caliph, and demand that the Qur'an be written down.
1: Wow. So, um, how, how, with that being said, how is it that we can rely on the different people that have, that have assembled the Qur'an
2: that's a, very, and that's a very critical point. And for sort of the development or the articulation of Muslim apologetics, you know, the defense of the faith, that's almost as important as arguing for the initial revelation of the Quran from God, right? Because the text that Muslims hold in their hands today is the product of that process that took place, exactly as you said, after the death of the Prophet. And so um, there's a general consensus that um, the, the, the early Muslim believers who assembled the Quran, and especially the first four caliphs, who were known as the rightly guided caliphs, those first four rulers after Muhammad, that they were very careful in the work they did, and that we can rely that the Quran that is in, in, in our hands today, that was passed down to us, is essentially identical to the Quran that Muhammad proclaimed to his followers, his followers rather orally.
1: So, uh, you were talking about this—the um, I don't know how to put it, what in a word—but um, you were talking about how strongly people felt about their religion in the Arab right. communities, and and like you know the prayers right. and the Quran is only recited in. Arabic and you know, there's different things in, right. and how it's in the airport and stuff. Why is it that um, the Quran and is, Islam is so strict, I guess, at their at their religion as compared to, let's say, Christian or Catholics and some of, and Jews even.
2: Right. Yeah, that's a very important point. I mean, I, I think it's true that there's a certain we um, could say universality. Um, to Islamic belief. You know, there's a saying that Muslims have, which is, Islam is religion and state. The Arabic is din wa daulah. And, um, you know, not all Muslims would actually agree with that, but many would. Many would say, yeah, that's, you know, that, that's accurate, that Islam isn't just about faith, it's not just about spirituality, it's not just about prayer, but it's a complete system of life. Um, this isn't absolutely clear from the Qur'an itself because the Qur'an actually doesn't have any very many rules and laws. But the way that Islam develops in the first centuries is a whole body of literature which develops basically principles for life. And that's for the individual and how he or she conducts his or her daily life, but also for society and questions like economics, politics, um, ethics. And so um, you, you get this code, which becomes known, and you know, your um, your audience will probably have heard the term Sharia, becomes known as the Sharia, which is this, this code or this law, which, um, yeah, is very global, which covers things as specific as what you can eat or what you can wear, and things like policy on war and peace. Um, and so um, in some ways, the religion of Islam is articulated through that law, and um, that's the essence for many Muslims of the religion is, is law. Not for all Muslims. It's important not to, you know, overemphasize or exaggerate that point because Islam is diverse after
1: all. Now now can I ask the um, Quran itself and, and Islam, do they have variations within their own religion, such as Christianity has quite a few different uh, sure. same, you know, perceptions and and beliefs? Yeah, that's a
2: great that's a great question, right? So there certainly are, um, and some of it is not seen. So there, there's the one big division that many many people, um, you know, in the West will be familiar with, which is between Sunnis and Shiites. We could speak about that, but in fact, the way Islam is organized is that there's not an um, a, there, there aren't church bodies, there aren't denominations. And so within Sunnism and within Shiism, there are many different currents and movements which don't have formal councils or bodies as a Christian denomination, for example, might have, um, but which are very distinct. So, for example, Islam as it's practiced in Saudi Arabia, which is largely a form of Islam known as, a form of Sunni Islam known as Salafism, that sort of Islam is very different from the Islam that you might find in Indonesia or in the United States. So within within Sunnism, within Shiism, there are many different currents, and a lot of it has to do with um, how the Quran is interpreted, and um, the role that um, that the Sharia, that law, is meant to have in society.
1: Well, who who dictates the Sharia um, with with the two different variations? When you have uh, Sunnis and Shiites, like how how is how is Sharia decided, the law of God, like in which?
0: We at Wondery, creators of Dr. Death, Scamfluencers, and Over My Dead Body, go deeper into complex true crime stories to give you an inside look at the facts. And now we're launching the ultimate true crime fan destination, Exhibit C. It's truly criminal. Wondery's Exhibit C gives you the detective's lens of all of the evidence, taking you step by step through the twists and turns of each true crime case. Join the Exhibit C online community to access exclusive show merchandise, member-only content, and to hear directly from top criminal and social justice experts, witnesses, and investigators as they take us beyond the evidence and into the case file. Join now by following Wondery Exhibit C on Facebook, or find us on the web at WonderyExhibitC.com and listen to true crime podcasts on Wondery and Amazon Music. Exhibit C. It's truly criminal.
1: You know what I mean? Like who? Right. Yeah, of course.
2: Yeah, who, where's the authority coming from? That's a critical question for Muslims. Where, where is authority? You know, and um, most Muslims would say um, authority is, in, is the, the, the ultimate authority is the scripture itself. And that's why the Quran is so important. And that's why there's so much piety around the Quran. So, you know, Muslims will kiss the book before they open it, and that's why, you know, I've written a book like this, to try to shed light on the Qur'an. But, um, in fact, what happens is a very informal process in the Islamic world, whereby Muslim leaders, by virtue of either their power or their authority or their popularity, will be able to dis- disseminate their particular teachings. And through the, um, the popularity of their teachings, Um, it will begin to take hold and have a greater presence in society. So, individual popular Muslim leaders, for example, the Egyptian leader Yusuf al-Qaradawi, who has a very distinct position on Islamic law, will have an enormous following throughout the world, and Islam will take on the flavor or the color of the teachings of these particular leaders.
1: Mm. Now, some of the sayings that are used, like um, Allah, which is just God, Allah Akbar in that. Now, can you explain why it's used? Because a lot of people, I think, don't really understand it.
2: Right. Yeah, great question. So, um, you know, I enter a bit into this in the book. Um, Allah is, um, is simply the Arabic word for God. It appears 2,700 times in the Quran. Um, so it's you know, it's it's uh, God is omnipresent in the Quran um, But it, I mean it's it's important to note that um, it's simply the word for God in the Arabic language so um, Non-muslim Arabs whether they're Christians or Jews or even Baha'is or another faith when they speak of God They speak of Allah So some people think that you know Allah is a different God or a distinct God or the God of Islam that's not exactly right, you know, because Christians and Jews are also calling God Allah. And, you know, even more, we can we can look at the root of that word, and it's closely related to other words in the same language family for God. So the word in Hebrew, Elohim, which means God, is related to Allah. And the word in a, a more obscure language, but a very important um, Christian language of the Middle East, and Assyriac, is Allah for God, which you can hear is even closer. Uh, and so you know it's an it's an ancient word that's entered in the Quran is used for God. Incidentally, in the Quran, it's not the only word used for God. But there's a second word which is Ar Rahman, which means the compassionate one, which is also used simply for God. The Quran even says, "Listen, you don't have to call God Allah. You can also call him Ar Rahman. Either way is fine."
1: Now, how how strict is the Quran for people following? it word for word because I know there's a lot of people that memorize the whole the entire Quran so is, right, is, right. There, is there something about the Quran that you're supposed to know word to word like that
2: yeah right it's it very very interesting because you know there's there's great piety surrounding the Quran as I've already alluded to it's it's really um, central to um, Islamic societies and in part because of that piety, um, it becomes a sign of an individual's sort of religious fervor if he or she has memorized the Quran. So that's, like, that's a sign of prestige, you know. In the United States, I don't know if you have a great jump shot or where <laughs> um, you have a beautiful singing voice, you know, that might bring you prestige. In, in the Islamic world, the jump shot and the singing voice, they're still important, but memorizing the Qur'an will bring you prestige. And, you know, parents will be very proud and oftentimes throw a celebration when their children have proven that they've memorized the entire Qur'an, which is quite a feat, you know. It's not a long book, it's about two-thirds the size of the New Testament, but nevertheless, it's pretty impressive to memorize the Qur'an. Um, so, you know, that, that's a sign that, of the importance of the Qur'an. That doesn't mean that everyone will in, um, interpret the Qur'an literally. And there, there may be certain aspects of the Qur'an um, which, you know, someone might say, well, this doesn't really apply in the 21st century. That was for the 7th century when Muhammad was good. The other point to make is many people memorize the Qur'an, they, they may not actually understand it all of it. So, in many countries, let's say Indonesia, I mentioned it before, is a country where the spoken language is is called Bahasa not Arabic, It has no connection to Arabic, and so young Indonesian Muslims when they learn the Quran, they're learning it in a foreign language, and they may not understand it, but they'll still memorize it, because there's just prestige and piety associated with the memorization of the text.
1: Now, has the Quran gone through changes through time, such as the Bible? Is there different versions and, and I guess, updated versions, as they would call it, or different testaments of the same Bible or Quran? Right.
2: So, uh, great question. Um, The Quran, the the first point to make is that uh, Muslim scholars themselves were very interested in variants to the Quran. Now, um, the Islamic tradition tells us that when a definitive edition of the Quran was established during the reign of the third caliph, so this would be between the year 644 and 656, that that caliph, his name was al he gathered all of the variant versions to his own, he established his own, and gathered all of the variant versions to his own and had them destroyed, had them burned. And um, so they, they no longer exist. They were all destroyed by Osman. Um And yet medieval Muslim scholars say, yes, they were all destroyed, but we remember what they said because it was passed down to us in different texts, in different um, traditions. And so they were very interested in, in looking at those variants and saying, oh, listen, the Quran we have, Osman's Quran says this, but in that other version of the Quran that Osman destroyed, it said something else. So that's something that a lot of tradition itself sort of accepted and was interested in.
0: Now today,
2: modern scholars are interested um, also in looking at, at our manuscript evidence and seeing what sort of differences we can find. If there are some differences. We don't have, um, let's say, new chapters or even new paragraphs of the Quran, but we do have words which are different and some ordering which is different when we look at the manuscripts.
1: So when you were talking about the, the Quran and the Bible, and uh, a lot of things that they have in common, um, what is one or two of the biggest things they have in common?
2: Well I, you know I think one of the most interesting things in the book to highlight is that um, a lot of the biblical stories that um, your listeners will be familiar with um, are there in the Quran as well, um, but sometimes in a different um, a different format. So, for example, you know, I mentioned Adam and Eve in the garden. We have that story repeated many times in the Quran. But, you know, if you read Genesis carefully, you'll notice, you know, who's with Adam and Eve in the garden? The word Satan or the devil does not appear. It's actually simply said that a serpent is with them. Of course, Christians later identify that serpent with Satan. And when we read the Quran, we, the serpent is gone and it's only Satan. Satan is in the garden. So you have those, those interesting connections. Um, similar is um, the, the story of the crucifixion of Jesus, which also appears in the Quran. Someone looks at the book, that they, they can look under chapter 4, verse 157 of the Quran. And then we have a refer- reference to the crucifixion of Jesus. But, you know, depending on how you read that verse, it could be understood as saying that it wasn't Jesus who was crucified. What happened is someone else was given the likeness or the appearance of Jesus and was crucified in his place and jesus escaped the crucifixion entirely and ascended into heaven body and soul there are some disputes over that verse but you know, there's one muslim scholar who wrote a well-known book saying that um the title was crucifixion as it's normally spelled or crucifixion f-i-c-t-i-o-n the just a fiction that christians invented and in fact jesus was never crucified at all
1: oh um. Do you say it's um, it's a it would be a good thing for uh, Jewish or um, Christians to read the Quran?
2: Absolutely, um, the Quran. You know, even if you don't see it as the word of God, you know, even if you don't think the angel Weber brought it down from heaven to earth, you know it's um, it's a book which is at the heart of the religious life of of um, hundreds of millions of Muslims throughout the world including now many Muslims in the United States, of course, who are our neighbors here, um, which is essential um, to the articulation of, um, of politics, um, even of economics, but certainly of ethics and culture in the Islamic world. But, um, you know, readers of the book will also discover that um, the Qur'an is part of biblical history. You know, what, what happened is in the centuries after the closing of the Christian canon, of the Bible, which, of course, includes the Hebrew Bible, um, Christians and Jews continued to speculate around the text and develop stories around the text. And um, the Quran is sort of part of that process. The Quran is sort of a new voice within those discussions about biblical stories. So it's really a part of the history of the Bible as well.
1: Now, with with a lot of the world tensions and stuff right now, um, do you think that it's... Um eventually going to come together like the three major religions and be as one sort of I, I know there's a the differences but you know um, more more togetherness than apart
2: and a, yeah that's a that's a tough one uh, yeah, that's a, yeah that is, that's a big question I mean what we find right now in, in the Sunni Islamic world is that um, there's a real sort of tension or debate going on, even in some places a conflict, between um, more conservative, assertive forms of Sunni Islam associated with this movement that I referred to before called Salafism, and then Muslims striving for reform and um, the integration of some of the advances of the Enlightenment and modernity into Islam. So there's, there's a struggle going on in the heart of the Islamic world right now. And, you know, we can see that playing out in you know some of, some of what we're finding going on in, um, in Saudi Arabia um, and in Turkey and other places these days. Now, in terms of looking at um, the connections between the different religions, well, you know, there's some simple theological questions that are um, really a question of dispute. One is, you know, do, do we all worship the same God? You know, most, most Christians would say, of course we worship the same God as Jews do because we share a scripture. You know, the Old Testament for Christians is the Bible for Jews. It's in a different order and things, but basically it's the Bible for Jews. So we must have the same God. The God of Abraham is also the God of Christians. When it comes to Islam, some Christians will hesitate, you know. The Catholic Church seems to be pretty clear um, in in its teaching that uh, Muslims and Christians worship the same God, but um, especially some strands of evangelical Protestantism would be pretty hesitant about that question. So um, there's a lot of dialogue that needs to go on before there's a real um, drawing together of the different religions.
1: Well, is there something specific about the Quran that makes the evangelicals not think it's the same God? I mean...
2: Right. Yeah. I, you know, um, the, 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 the sticking point is Jesus. It's basically about Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's really the, the key question, you know, um, because at the heart of the, of the Christian claim is, you know, um, this notion of, um, of God becoming man or the incarnation. So this is the heart of, of Christianity, that you know, God, out of his love for humanity, you know, entered into human history. And the Quran is, is pretty clear that um, that uh, long teaching is that Jesus is not God, is not the Son of God, he was only a prophet. There's even a verse in the Quran, you know, readers can open the book and look at chapter 5, verse 72, also verse 73 of the Quran, which has, in verse 72, it has Jesus himself reprimand his followers, saying, listen, I'm just a prophet, God is my Lord and your God. Um, and so, you know, it's that it's that question, the relationship between Jesus and God, which for a lot of evangelical thinkers, and by the way, also for a lot of Muslim thinkers, um, makes them hesitate to say that we actually worship the same God. Wow.
1: Really interesting. Really interesting uh, story and book. Um, now, the book is out now, and it's called In- The Quran and the Bible, and uh, the author, Gabriel said Reynolds, um wow thank you very much for being on the show it's
2: been a pleasure thank thank you so much
1: to find out more about our show guests or to listen to past shows from our archive please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com
0: show's over for now was it as good for you as it was for me well good night this has been a production of something weird media
1: I'll be back. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.
0: Hi, I'm Helen Lewis,
2: and I want to tell you about a podcast I've made for BBC Radio 4 and BBC Sounds. It's
0: called The New Gurus, and it's about how everywhere you look on the Internet, people are giving advice. Advice they claim will transform your life. Advice that gets some
2: thousands, even millions of devoted followers. These online profits are telling us how to eat, how to think, how to get rich, how to find love, how to manage our
0: time. So how exactly are these gurus changing our lives and the world around us? And who holds them to account? Find out by subscribing to the new gurus
2: wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.COM
0: You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, yeah. good night.